Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 106 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. The topic for this month is the phenomenon commonly known as the near-death experience, but we here at God Beyond the Bible refer prefer to call it a real-death experience. But before we jump right into our topic, we got some shout-outs this week. Yeah, our shout-outs this week are to Kiana and Jennifer. Welcome aboard, guys. You bet. And I guess I've got the quote. Was you going to say something else? Nope, I thought it. I cut you off there. Uh, now, I'm unsure of the origin of this, but uh, maybe Buddha. This may be a Buddha quote. I'm not sure. But the best reply to an utter fool is utter silence. I like that. I do too. <laughs> In the last episode, utilizing the evidence we have from the thousands of death experiences of those who have died and returned and referencing the compiled evidence of those who have spent their lifetime studying this phenomenon, we feel like they may have more or less mapped out the death experience. As we said before, if we will put aside our religious objections and actually listen to what these folks are trying to teach us, we may just find the answers to the questions of what to expect when we die. And as we stated earlier, most of our stresses and worries of this life are that of the fear of sickness you, and of death. Do you think that's a true statement? Yes. Yes. Don't you think that's what everybody, that's the biggest stress everybody has? Mm-hmm. is. And it's even more true as we transition from our age of invincibility 20s to our maybe I'm not going to live forever 30s and often our midlife crisis and our disappointing life review of our 40s and then the reality of our vulnerability to death at 50 and beyond. Even though we could die at any of those Mm -hmm. ages. Look, Look, realize the more years you've been here. I'm the oldest guy in this room. I'm 60 years old. Statistically speaking. I'll be the first to have the death experience. Right. That's just, that's the way it is. That's the way it probably should be. Uh, if we could pull back the veil on this mysterious foe we call death and uh, understand what happens when we die, shouldn't we want to? I mean, we found that some of the strongest resistance to this peeking behind the veil is from the religious community and especially the Christian religious community. Our basis for this is that many of the other world religions actually consider things like exiting the body and returning and reincarnation as legitimate possibilities. Mm -hmm. Only basically the Christian religion refuses to consider that any of this is a possibility. Uh, Our dogmas just won't let us do it. Yeah. Last episode, we looked at the first two steps of dying. They were, of course, physical death and exiting the body. Most of the evidence of those who have studied and compiled shows 
um, who have studied and compiled shows that different people seem to linger around the place of their death for different periods of time, but we can't tell how long that is because almost all tell us that on the other side, there is no linear time. They say that linear time only exists for those in the human condition, not those who become spirit. And we're going to talk about this more in a later episode when we discuss the life review. And let me go ahead and say, most of the people are not saying, now you've got to leave your body now. Mm-hmm. They have to make the choice. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. of them have to, they'll see a light or there'll be someone there, but that usually someone there, there's someone there to escort them, take them, you know, an escort them, but they don't force them to go and there's a lot of people believe that that a lot of people spend a lot of time lingering around Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of what's happened right okay so we've died we're standing or floating there in the presence of our deceased body we feel absolutely no pain no discomfort and we're not even emotionally troubled at the sight of our own dead body now this i hear almost every one of them say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it didn't concern me i'm detached it's just like okay and then everybody's wailing and crying and doing it's like hey guys it's okay i'm good yeah. <laughs> don't in matter of fact i even listened to a guy i think it was yesterday and said i was trying to grab the doctor by the arm that was trying to resuscitate me and said i reached right through his arm but said i was trying to grab him by the arm to keep him from bringing Stop. me yeah don't <laughs> bring me back to life <laughs> so we've become not only physically but emotionally detached from our body that we spent a great deal of our human existence trying to protect and preserve being fear afraid and worrying over right. Well, what happens next varies, yet at the same time it follows a sort of pattern. Often those who are dying a slow death, such as in a hospital bed, surrounded by staff and loved ones, tell us that past loved ones appear in the room with them. It's usually someone that is very dear to them whose life and death profoundly impacted them. They tell us that the past loved ones are there to escort them on the first leg of their journey. For those who died suddenly, often while they are still observing their own dead body, they will be approached by a deceased loved one who is present to comfort them and escort them on their journey. In some cases, the person does not encounter deceased loved ones until later in their journey. Most (laughs) Most experts agree that the time spent hovering or observing our dead body is a period that it takes us to realize that we have died. And you know, that would be a concept that you would have to... Wait a minute. I mean, I'm there and I'm here. I I, mean, you know, that's. I've listened to people that didn't know it was their body. Mm -hmm. And they were looking and they go, one lady said, that green blouse, that's very, that's the one my mother made for, and it took all of that for her to realize that that was her line there after the accident laying on the side of the road. Is it my turn, guys? I'm sorry. I think number nine. The next thing that almost (laughs) always, that everyone almost always agrees on is that there appears to be an inviting light it appears somewhere mm-hmm. sometimes it's just a speck at first but it gets our attention and we start moving toward it as we move toward it we often find ourselves drawn into a tunnel or some describe it even as a vortex and the light appears to be at the far end of this tunnel or vortex we may begin at first to move slowly through the tunnel toward the light but many observe that their speed increases until they're traveling at something near or beyond the speed of light. And as they reach the end of the tunnel, there are many different experiences, but again, they're similar in so many ways. The tunnel usually ends in very bright light, yet it is not a harsh light, but a strong, comforting, and pleasant light that is described as perfect peace and unconditional love. 
At this point, some encounter deceased loved ones. Sometimes it's a lo- loved ones that died before they were born, and they claim to know who they were. Uh, some encounter childhood pets. Others encounter a beautiful field of flowers or trees or streams or lakes. And uh, Most will say that it looks much like the most beautiful scenes we might witness on earth. Yet the colors are so vibrant, and even the grass and plants seem to communicate with one another and everything else. All is in perfect harmony. And at least one case, a person, or I've seen this more than once, but at least in one case, a person asked who they believed to be God if this place was patterned after earth. And they were told, no, earth is patterned after this place. Hmm. Almost all agree that they communicate with everyone and everything there, always in a language that they are familiar with, but never with audible words. In almost all cases, those who return tell us that the communication with one another and even with God is telepathic. In other words, they communicate without actually talking. Keep in mind that as all this is going on, there's no fear or sense of judgment or condemnation, just pure, unconditional love. As a new arrival, we are so conditioned to linear earth time, it often feels like we've spent hours just observing the vibrant beauty and interacting loved ones um, and other spiritual beings. But the truth is, they find out when they return that the, that the very little earth time has actually elapsed, and often it's only just a few minutes. And it's so hard for us because we associate everything with time. Mm-hmm. I mean, And that is one of the most common things that everyone says. Mm-hmm. The fir- and they say, I can't tell you how I know this, but there is no time there. And it's almost, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I think try to think outside of time, my brain kind of snaps back like, nope. We can't go there. I don't That's, think we can fathom that. Yeah. Well, I a few could, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Einstein, mm-hmm. Uh, Tesla, different ones could actually, I mean, look at look at how uh, Einstein has made us completely rethink our concept of time yes. and space. Okay, my pea brain cannot fathom That's that. That's my problem. <laughs> okay. So it's at this point that some are told that they need to return. Often they're told that they're needed by loved ones or that they've not completed their earth mission. Every single one of these accounts that we have read or listened to say that they did not want to return to their earth life. And in fact, many say that they strongly contested the suggestion that they return. Yet they eventually are lovingly convinced that their return is necessary for themselves and others. And this is where Dolores Cannon's silver thread comes in. For those who return, the silver cord that attaches to <clears throat> the silver cord that attaches them to their body has not been severed. Cannon claims that until that cord is severed, there's always the chance of returning. But once it has been severed, we cannot return, at least to the body and life that we knew at the time. Another word that almost all of those who have experienced death and returned is that they feel as though they are finally home. They use this word, often describe the feeling. This is a common concept that actually aligns strongly with the Christian religion. A lot of the hymns, poems, and phrases including, include the phrase, going home. Uh, we may even say at the memorial of a loved one, they have finally gone home. Uh, this brings us to have to consider that... Uh, this brings us to have to consider that a place that a person refers to as home is a place that they are already familiar with, and it is a place of deep... Uh, emotional attachment so one would think that if we have such a deep emotional attachment to a place that we call home that we've been there before i mean isn't doesn't that make sense yeah Yeah. 
The fact is, this idea is strongly supported in the text of the Bible. In fact, as we've pointed out before, reincarnation was very much a part of the belief system of the earliest Christians up until about the 4th century AD, when the Roman Catholic Church decided to remove the idea of reincarnation from their dogma and doctrine. There are a number of passages that hint at reincarnation, but a few outright presented as fact. The most compelling is the words of Jesus concerning John the Baptist. The disciples were all products of the Jewish religion. The Jewish religion's prophets said that before the Messiah would come, he would be preceded by the Old Testament prophet Elijah. When the disciples pointed this out to the Lord Jesus, Jesus responded to their question with these words, If you can accept it, Elijah did return. He was John the Baptist. And to me, that's pretty clear-cut reincarnation. Yes. (laughs) So, under our influence of the Catholic religion's opposition to reincarnation, the English translations often read that Jesus said that John Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, whatever that means. (laughs) We may add to Jesus' statement that the declaration of King David who wrote of God We may add to Jesus' statement the declaration by King David who wrote of God, You knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. We're told that David was referring to the foreknowledge and even the predestination and omniscience of God. But think about it. If God knew David before he was conceived, and David knew that God knew him, then David had to know God in some form before existence, before he entered into the human state. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul said that he was appointed to be the messenger of the good news to the Gentiles before he was ever born. He says that in I can't remember which one of his or which one of his uh, letters. Again, many read this as God's omniscience and predestination, but for God to appoint Paul to this task before he was human, and for Paul to know that he was appointed to this task or before he was born, then the spirit or soul that dwelled in the human body named Paul existed in some form in the presence of God before his human existence. This evidence of his existence before our human experience and the fact that still today refer to the afterlife as home, combined with the testimony of those who have gone there and returned, we must be very close-minded not to make the connection of a pre-human existence. Right. And with that thought, we have to conclude this episode, but we will pick up next week right where we left off. In the meantime, may God's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on, in, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.